Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. I've used the analogy of physicists as explorers before, and it's true. Let's say we have a map of the physical world. Not the surface of the Earth, but a map showing things like the structure of the atom and the nature of electricity and the influence of gravity. Physicists are the people who travel to the dark spots on that map, the unknown regions, and they say, let's explore this area. And today we have a story of a group of exploring physicists who walked into an unknown region. And they actually went as far as physics says it is possible to go. They went to something called the standard quantum limit. And they did so by measuring the smallest force ever recorded. That's today on the Physics Central podcast. A group of researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, just had a paper published in the journal Science where they claimed to have made the smallest force measurement ever recorded. And what's really impressive about this result is that it may actually be the smallest force that can be measured. There's something called the standard quantum limit, and it is literally a limit on how precisely scientists can measure things. And it's starting to become a problem for some experiments, including LIGO, an experiment searching for gravitational waves, which are ripples in space-time caused by massive events or objects like black holes or neutron stars smashing into one another. So this new measurement is effectively scouting out the landscape near this standard quantum limit in hopes of assisting experiments like LIGO. In physics, force is equal to mass times acceleration. So if an object is accelerating, then a force is acting on it. The force of an engine can make a car accelerate. The force of gravity makes falling objects accelerate. So many devices that we use that measure acceleration are also measuring the force that causes that acceleration. Okay, so before we go any further, force detection is obviously important to scientists, but whether they realize it or not, most non-scientists actually use force detectors every day. Maybe the one that people would be most uh, familiar with are all the force or the, I guess, equivalently, the acceleration sensors that are inside of your iPhone. You know, they're used in a lot of instruments that we carry around in our pockets. There's uh, dozens of accelerometers in every car that's made today. So they're, they're quite ubiquitous. Let me introduce you to this person. Sure, I'm Dan Stamper-Kern. I'm a professor of physics at UC Berkeley. Stamper-Kern leads the group that completed this measurement of the very, very small force. 40 yocto newtons, to be exact. Newtons are the unit of measurement of force, just like distance is measured in meters and mass is measured in kilograms. To remember how big one Newton is, just think of the story of Isaac Newton and the falling apple. Imagine dropping an apple from a pretty good height, maybe a third-story window. The force of that apple when it hits the ground is going to be about one Newton. 
The researchers at UC Berkeley measured a force of 40 yocto newtons. Yocto is a prefix that means 10 to the minus 24 or one septillionth of a newton. That's 100 trillion trillionths of a newton. You know, when we realized that we were measuring 40 octonewtons, we did what every uh, scientist does. We went onto Wikipedia, and we went to look through all the metric uh, prefixes, and we found the very last one is yocto. So we lucked out. So this was actually such a small measurement that they got to the end of the available prefixes to describe it. Now, it's obviously easier to measure a very small force when it's applied to a very small object. And in this case, the force was applied using a laser, and it was applied to a cloud of about 1,200 atoms. Now, I have to skip over the exact experimental setup, but it was a very complicated task, and it took the researchers about a year to get their experiment working properly. Now, the goal of this experiment was not only to measure a very small force, but to measure the very smallest force that can be measured. There's a natural limit to how precise scientists can measure certain properties. When you're looking at, let's say, the motion of an object, you're not allowed to gain precise information on both its position and also its momentum, not at the same time. And then you might ask yourself, well, why is that? Why can't I just go ahead and measure both? And the idea is that every measurement you make sort of necessarily influences the object that you're looking at. That's what the back action is. So, for example, if I try to make a very precise measurement of the position of an object, it turns out that I inevitably start kicking that object around and giving it a lot of pushes back and forth that mess up my knowledge of its momentum. Obviously, this only starts to affect things at a very small scale. If I use photons to illuminate a soccer ball in order to measure its position and momentum, those photons will not disrupt the motion of the soccer ball, at least not to a degree that I can detect. But a few photons can definitely mess up the motion of, say, a proton or a cloud of atoms. And uh, sometimes the cause of that back action can be pretty subtle, and it can be, you know, sort of an interesting textbook exercise to figure out uh, where exactly that back action comes from. But it's sort of guaranteed that you're going to find some avenue by which your measurement uh, creates that kind of back action disturbance. So researchers are faced with this choice between using very little light to illuminate an object, but not being able to see the object very well, not being able to get a lot of information, or using a lot of light, but then disturbing the object and thus not being able to take very precise measurements and also not getting a lot of information. And in between those two limits, there's a sweet spot that people have identified and that's sort of the best you can do. And that's what's known as the standard quantum limit. It's a, this quantum limit for uh, force sensors. There's a lot of applications for force sensing, and a lot of people have been trying to make their force sensors more sensitive. And this standard quantum limit stands out there as sort of a, uh, you know, a, a boundary that you should target in refining your technologies. So what's really impressive about these new results is that they bump right up against this standard quantum limit, or SQL. The researchers came within a factor of four of the SQL. 
the closest previous approaches were at least a million times larger than the SQL. Just like people who explore caves or wildernesses, the idea behind exploring precision measurements is partly to see if there are any major hurdles getting there. Are there any swamps or mountains that you have to traverse? Are there any experimental hang-ups that could slow other people down who eventually want to make these highly precise measurements? We're sort of scouts. We're out there trying to figure this out for people who in other contexts might eventually refine their technology well enough to reach that limit. So in that, in that sense, we produce some sort of indirect benefit for all of their future work. And scientists may one day need detectors that can measure something like 40 Yocto Newtons. In terms of scientific applications, um, people like to measure very small forces, for example, in biophysics, where uh, you, you might want to know what kind of forces are being exerted on DNA to move it around or on uh, objects within the cell. Uh, there's applications in surface science where you in something called an atomic force microscope, you, you drag a tip over a surface, and by measuring the force on that tip, you characterize the surface. That's been useful for a lot of uh, basic studies. These are mostly examples of measuring small forces as applied to very small objects. But there are also experiments where researchers want to measure very, very small forces on much larger objects. And most notably among those is LIGO, or the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. LIGO is searching for gravitational waves. In his theory of general relativity, Einstein introduced the world to the idea that space and time are united, sort of like a fabric that everything in the universe sits on. Very massive objects like black holes can send ripples through this space-time fabric, causing it to expand and contract. And that motion can literally change space and time. If there are two freely floating objects that are, say, one meter apart, uh, as a gravitational wave goes by, the, that distance of one meter will change by, oh, ever so slightly, uh, a tiny amount. This is Nergis Mavovala. She's a member of the physics faculty at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and she works on the LIGO experiment. And she's been working specifically on this issue of how the standard quantum limit is going to limit LIGO scientists in the measurements they make. Now, very quickly, the LIGO experiment has two arms. These are enclosed tubes that are each four kilometers long lasers are sent down each arm and bounced off a mirror so they head back to their starting point. Scientists use the laser light to measure the length of each arm, but if a gravitational wave comes by, it might stretch the space-time fabric and change one of those lengths ever so slightly. So what we're really trying to do with LIGO is we're trying to measure changes in the distance between the, the mirrors that are four kilometers apart by about uh, 10 to the minus 19 meters. So keep in mind that is 10,000 times smaller than a single proton. So making measurements this precise puts LIGO right up against the standard quantum limit. The next upgrade to LIGO, called Advanced LIGO, 
plans on reaching that boundary. So advanced LIGO is going to be looking at the distance between these mirrors, and the Stemper-Kern group was measuring a force applied to a cloud of atoms. But at their heart, these experiments are asking the same question. How well can you make a measurement of the position of a particle or the force on a particle using laser light, which is a coherent uh, state of light? And in the case of advanced LIGO, that question is central because that's what stops us from making a better detector right now. And so if you look at the Stamper-Kern research and you look at how advanced LIGO operates, they're very related. In the case of the Stamper-Kern research, they showed that they can actually get their atom cloud to be within a factor of four of the standard quantum limit. And with advanced LIGO, when it's operating at its full sensitivity, which will be sort of towards the end of this decade, it will also be operating at the standard quantum limit. But for a 40-kilogram mirror rather than for a cloud of atoms. So that's the big difference. The technologies are a little bit different, but the principle is exactly the same, that quantum mechanics in the form of this this thing we call the standard quantum limit is limiting our ability to make a more precise measurement. So the results from the Stamper-Kern group show that it is possible to arrive at the standard quantum limit. And the paper details what the terrain is like, what kind of things LIGO scientists can expect to run into as they zero in on this goal. Whenever scientists push to a new frontier of sensitivity or precision, there could be surprises, things we didn't expect. Imagine for a moment he had found that he couldn't reach the standard limit, quantum limit because of something fundamental. Then, boy, we would be rethinking a lot of things in LIGO, too. So the scouts have gone out, they've surveyed the terrain, and they've come back to report to the people who are going to move out into this wilderness to do more detailed experiments. And once again, thanks to physics, our map of the physical universe gets bigger and more detailed every day. Thanks again to Dan Stamper-Kern and Nergis Mavovala for being on the podcast. The lead author on the new paper in science was Sidney Schreppler. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Cala Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast. Thank you.